0: Go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Doctoring Duo podcast, uh, where you have two medical students giving uh, honest, unfiltered uh, advice and opinions about medical school and the application process uh, directly to you, interested listeners, and hopeful pre meds. Um, as a reminder, my name is Eleni. Uh, I go, I'm an MS1 at Penn State College of Medicine. Uh, I don't speak for my institution, I only speak for myself.
1: Hey, everyone. I'm Noah. I'm a first-year medical student at Mayo Clinic Alex School of Medicine, and my opinions are my own and not those of Mayo Clinic.
0: All right, and today's topic is going to be, well, this is going to be a little bit short of an episode. I know we've hit you guys with some longer ones uh, for the past couple months, but I think this one is an important one, and, you know, an important one for around this time of year, especially for those of you uh, considering applying um, in the next upcoming cycle, and that's uh, letters of recommendation. Um. So, kind of a briefer episode, we're going to go through what you need to know about letters of recommendation, who to ask, how to ask, um, and when to ask, and we'll kind of hopefully give you some advice on the process. Um, so, how many letters do you need, I guess, is the first question.
1: Yeah. Um. So, this is, like, probably the number one question that a lot of people have when you're first starting out and you're researching about letters of recommendation. Um. The typical... Um, guideline is that you need three individual letters or one committee letter. Um, at William & Mary, um, my undergraduate institution, we didn't have a pre-medical committee, we only had a pre-medical advisor. So all of my letters were individual. Um, I solicited those with professors who I felt I knew well, and I also got my pre advisor to write me one as well. So again, no committee, that's just how I did it.
0: Yeah, uh, UVA, which was my undergrad, um, also had no committee. Um, if you do have a committee, it is important to make sure that you get that letter ahead of time. Um, I've heard of committees that can take up to six months uh, to get those letters out. So make sure you're checking on that, You know, even in your junior year of college, I would say, and making sure that uh, you're getting that letter. My understanding of committee letters uh, is that typically if you make a baseline that they will give you a general letter of recommendation. And it's just to say, hey, you're generally competent. Um, you're not graduating with a subpar GPA um and that your MCAT is suitable I know there's cutoffs for a lot of schools and that's going to vary from school to school so make sure to check your school's website um I also had to get individual letters I think I got about seven to eight individual letters I got a lot (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah no that's a lot
0: (laughs) um how many did you get (laughs) let
1: me see I had I have four professors and then my pre med advisor. So I got five in total.
0: Okay. Let me see. Let me see. I, so the best way to manage your letters is through this thing called Interfolio, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I paid for the premium subscription for one year. Do remember to cancel it if you're not going to use it anymore. Uh, that <laughs> yeah, was one thing I I remember used. to cancel
1: it. <laughs> I think they even email you, which is really nice.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I ignore the email. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah let me see oh my gosh i got one two three four five six seven yeah eight letters of recommendation okay. uh and that was in part because i did not i added a couple schools late and then they had different letter of recommendation requirements and i thought they did and i thought my pi was an md when it turns out he was a phd Uh, which was a little bit of confusion for me. So I had to go. So I got his letter and then I had to go get another letter from an MD who was one of the residents that I work with. And then I had to get, and then I asked two chemistry teachers for a letter of recommendation because one wasn't responding and then he ended up responding. And so now I have two letters of recommendation from chemistry teachers. So I had a lot of letters, but I think that it was, it was really good to work with And some schools. I just sent all of them to, and I'm like, you're going to read all my letters. Um, I think that Having more is better than having less because, for example, I applied to Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine, which is a newer school in New Jersey, and they required, I believe they were the ones that required an MD letter. And um, I did not have an MD letter. As I said, I thought my PI was an MD and not a PhD. And so I kind of was scrambling to go get that. And then I ended up adding another school that wanted an MD letter. And I was like, oh, awesome. I already have that. Um, so just keep that in mind. I think New York Medical College also had one. I was like, you need to have one from someone who's specifically in your major. And I have a weird major. So that kind of made things difficult. Uh, so just kind of keep eyes on the schools that you want to apply to um, and make sure that you're uh, meeting those requirements.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. That That's good advice. I think as far, I'll give some detail about my letters as well. Um, I have five letters. Um, let me see. One came from my human physiology professor. Um, one came from my um, molecular biology professor. I had one from my psych, my psych, I was a psychology major. So my major advisor, um, and then one, I, it was a really fun class literature in the Bible. So it was a little interesting. It was from the humanities side. So I thought that was a cool letter to add. And then, like I said, my pre my um, pre-med advisor. Um, I do I do agree with Lenny that having more rather than less um, is helpful. I would at least have a couple. So generally, the minimum is three. I would get you know like I did like five or six um, just just in case. And also keep in mind, like Lenny said, like the special requirements. I didn't apply to any schools that required an MD or DO letter, um, but those schools do exist. So just make sure you do your research.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I think you also brought up a good point. Um, I think it's a really good idea to have a letter from, so I I think like the rule of thumb is have one from a bio professor, have one from a chem professor, and then I would have at least one from a humanities professor, because I think that's like, it shows that you're, it's like the holistic humanistic thing that everyone's kind of moving towards is that you can be well-rounded. And I think, I'm trying to see... Um... Oh, I had one from one of my public health professors. So that was kind of like my humanities letter. Um, so letters from employers also work too. Um, I got yeah. one from, uh, I was a calculus TA for a while. And uh, the the professor who was supervising me wrote me a letter. Um, and that's also good because it shows that like you're functional in the workplace and that, you know, <laughs> you show up to work on time and that kind of thing. Like even if you were a server or something like that, like, I remember interviewing at West Virginia and they loved that. They were asking me about being a waitress and all that stuff. So if you did it, yeah,
1: yeah, no, I think letters from different um, areas of your life is certainly helpful. I think even like a a sports letter or athletics, or, you know, like Mm you said, a workplace, um, those all look favorably. You just don't need college professors. Um, The reason why we've kind of centered around academics is a lot of the schools explicitly state, um, academic but I do think it's really neat if you have a letter from an extracurricular that you did a sport a job those are all great letters too
0: yeah show a different side
1: the schools don't get to see
0: yeah um yeah and and even like volunteer coordinators as well like um I actually I I I think I listed a volunteer coordinator as um, a reference and that's actually something to keep in mind as well that like you may not ask everyone for a letter of recommendation but you might ask people to be like references for your activities so make sure you're on good terms uh, with you know those you do extracurricular activities with um because it is polite to ask them before you put them on their application in the case that someone gives them a phone call and is like hey the, the NOAA volunteer here and you know it's not it's not a good look if they're like who's noah or no <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Like sort of um, tangential to the letter issue. Yeah, exactly. When you when you write your letters, uh, your work and activity section, rather, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Um, you put down a reference. And yeah, I would say it is good form to, you know, let people know. Um, it's pretty rare, I think, um, from what I've heard, but sometimes schools or AMCAS might call to to verify that you actually did what you say you did
0: mm-hmm. yeah and, and i think that's going to be a discussion for for another day um yeah. so i think we kind of covered who who you should ask i think having you know kind of summing that up is a broad range of um you know professors making sure you're heading those core science professors and you know finding people who are willing to to speak to your best i think is really important i i know a lot of people who would you know, like, oh, I'm going to go to my physics professor because that looks impressive, even though I don't know my physics professor. And it's like, it's okay to go to your intro bio professor if you guys were close. It's about who can speak to your abilities the best. Uh, Worry less about impressing. You can do that with your GPA and your MCAT.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a a very good point that I think is related to who do you ask. You do not need to ask um, the the you know, Professor Emeritus of the Organic Chemistry Department, you can ask like whoever knows you best and who can really speak to your work ethic, your individual strengths as a student, as a person. And if you're somebody who really went to this certain professor's um, TA office hours or you spent extra time after work, making sure that this thing goes smoothly for the next day, like people who can speak to your ability to go above and beyond and speak to your strengths um is really useful rather than somebody who just writes a generic letter because they're super they have impressive credentials
0: Mm -hmm. yeah um and also don't think like oh they're not a professor and then um you know be like oh well you know I, i don't think they're that's valid like you know even if it's like for example um i worked you remember horizons noah
1: Yes, I do remember yeah, that.
0: Yeah, it was a nonprofit um, with, working with a lot of underserved students. Like, I worked with a lot of school teachers there, and, like, I got a recommendation letter from one of them, and, like, that was totally fine, so. Yeah. Cool. So, I think the next big question that we need to address is, um, when should you ask?
1: Yeah, good question. This is another big question that's probably on the top of everybody's minds, right? Right about now as we record this episode near the end of january so i think my general advice would be at, at least one month in advance um if not more i asked <laughs> i think i asked in february or march which is like two three four months um before ampcast opens which is near the end of may so i think that's a good timeline I think as far as when not to ask is also just as important. I wouldn't ask during midterms or finals when professors aren't gonna be thinking about writing like really strong letters for students. They're thinking about all the papers that they need to grade. Um, So I would just keep that in mind Um, as far as etiquette. um, You can send reminders. Um, I would keep it, you know, periodic. Like, so let's say you ask two months in advance. I think it's appropriate if you send a month reminder, then two weeks, and then maybe a week. And that might even be a little bit much. But you know, just use your discretion and how much you know that professor. Don't be annoying, but you know, reminders are useful for professors. They have a lot, a lot of people probably ask them for letters. They have a lot of things going on. They're teaching, they're doing research. So, you know, just be mindful of what that professor is going through at the moment when you ask them for a letter. If you walk in, like say you ask in person. And they're clearly busy or they're not in a good mood. Maybe you want to ask them at a different time.
0: Yeah. Um, also, make sure to give them, like, sufficient time. Like, I've talked to a lot of people who are like, I asked them three days before the letter was due. And, like, I that is not enough time. Like, I sometimes I take more than three days to answer emails, which is bad. And sometimes I take more than three days to answer texts. No one knows that. Uh, <laughs> hey, he text yeah. me, um, but at least one month in advance I think is a good rule of thumb um, I asked two months in advance and that's because I have anxiety <laughs> about these sorts of things and it was kind of <laughs> like you know I what I what I did was I asked them and then I said hey like are you okay with it and then they said yes and then like a month later, I would send them all the stuff that, you know, like for Interfolio, Interfolio, right? Is that what it's called?
1: Yeah, Interfolio.
0: Interfolio, yeah. Um, Send them all that stuff and then kind of send reminder emails as it went on. And I got pretty much all of them in like at least a week before the the opening of the AMCOS application. And I think that was a good timeline because you're going to have so much stuff going on when your AMCOS actually opens that you're not going to be wanting to chase in your letter, letter writers, So I would set a personal deadline for getting those letters in for the date of opening for AMCOS.
1: Right. Yeah. Th- that would be a general goal. Um, and like Lenny said, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. Once that application opens, you're going to be worried about your work and activity section, your personal statement, um, and putting all your grades, all your individual classes and grades, which is actually sort of a time suck. Um, You know, I think you can be strategic as well if you wanna give people enough time, um, knowing that Amcas is gonna take a while to process your application. I think I set their deadline as like June 15th, knowing I'm not gonna get processed right away. So if you wanna give people some breathing room and a couple of um, weeks um, into the summer months when they're not super busy um, to write your letter near the end of the semester, even though you asked um, pretty far in advance, I think that can be a nice thing to do as well.
0: Yeah. Um, and in terms of reminder emails, um, I agree with the don't be annoying thing, but also don't, like, I think there's a good balance between it. Um, and I think that sending increasingly frequent emails as you get closer, like, I don't think it's wrong to send an email like 48 hours apart when you're getting the close, closer to the due date, but I wouldn't be emailing them every other week for two or every week for two months. I think that's a bit much. Um, so kind of like, I guess, exponentially increase that time.
1: Um, yeah, I like that idea. I think that's perfectly appropriate. I think, um, I'm not exactly sure how you handled it and I'll let you speak to how you um, handle reminder emails. But I think for me, I don't think I personally had to reach out to any of my professors. If you get Interfolio and you pay for the premium then it might even be free, I don't know, I'd have to check. But um, they actually will send emails too. So then you kind of have that nice feature where it's not no, Noah's emailing me again. It's like, oh, he's using the system and it's just sending me a reminder email. And plus it gives them a link to like upload it. So you're you're not having to write out these long emails and do it. And it sets it on a schedule too. And it becomes increasingly frequent. So you don't have to, let's say you're like Lenny and you got seven or eight letters. You're not sending seven or eight emails every two, like, you know, every two or three days when it's getting um, to that time crunch of your deadline
0: also don't be afraid to copy and paste especially if they're in different departments um i make sure copy you have paste the right name yes make sure you do have the right name that is the worst thing ever i think i did that once but i knew the professor really really well and i was like oh my god so sorry wrong person uh, <laughs> so make sure that you're doing the right name don't be like me um and just be nice don't be like where is my letter like, hey, like, just friendly reminder that you know it's coming due. Like, please let me know if I can provide you anything else. Sometimes i will ask for your resume, so make sure your resume is like prepared when you ask for letters. Make sure, like, I had several asked for transcripts, um, and I think it was to talk about the kind of student that I was, just like generally. And so, like, make sure you have that on hand and you can email that back quickly.
1: Yeah, in fact, I would even say if you really want to be on top of your game. And I think it sort of depends on the professor too and how well you know them. But if you actually have your transcript prepared, because you know, unlike high school where a lot of teachers know your grades, that it's small enough where they have a good sense of who you are. At least for us, we went to a smaller high school. Um, but at college, nobody knows anybody's personal grades. So have your transcript. Um, I think it's actually really nice, um, even if it's not completely done yet, to give them a copy of your personal statement of uh, they can kind of speak because maybe you hadn't had um, sort of like that career talk with your professor and they can get a sense of why do you want to be a physician? And that can be helpful to them as they write your letter. And then if you want them to speak to your working activities in a way that's different from your own, that from the own way that you verbalize it in your working activity section, you can give them a copy of your working activities section too. Um, I I think it's really up to you and how much you want to how much you want your letter writers to know about you and what, what you want them to write about. But I think those are just some extra tips if you, if you want to do that.
0: Yeah, I think, I think those are uh, great tips. Um, (laughs) I think we've kind of beaten this subject to death. So, um, if there's nothing else you want to add, uh, I think we can move on. Um, Actually, I think, you know what, I think a good kind of interlude to this is, um, especially with COVID, I think that students really don't know how to ask. Um, And like, you guys have to go to office hours. Um, Like, oh, who do I ask? Who do I ask? I got letters from people that I took online only classes with because of COVID. And that was because I went to office hours and turned my camera on. Um, And I know it's annoying. I know it can make you seem like a gunner. And people are like, ew, you're a gunner or whatever, because you're in office hours. Um, but it's really, really important for them to know your name and know your face. I'm lucky because I have a very unique name and I have a very unique voice and kind of demeanor. Appar- apparently, uh, when I was, an side note, when I was an RA, my residents would know it was me, even if they didn't know what I was wearing that day, because they could tell by the way I walked. And I was like, that is slightly disturbing. <laughs> Um, so apparently I have a memorable walk, I think which helped. Um, but Noah, you have a very generic name. How did you make yourself stand out?
1: Yeah, no, but that's a good question, actually. I think one of the <laughs> one of the things that I certainly um did to stand out, I think, you know, I think it is important of you don't need to get to know um Every professor, but I think office. I'm gonna say the same thing. Office hours, office hours, office hours. Um, for my major advisor, I would have regular conversations with her. Um, if it was a professor, I like my physiology professor. I took that class online. I would go to office hours, turn on my camera. He knows who I am. He knows like, or that I ask thoughtful questions and I'm engaged in the class. Um. I think that's really the, the most important thing that you can do to stand out is to show your face and to show that you're engaged in the class. Um, these people have had thousands of students over the course of their career. Nobody's going to remember that little square on the screen. I'm sorry. It's just, it, it's, it's not memorable. So you need to show up, you need to talk, and you need to actually meet with them.
0: Yeah. Raise your hand in class. <laughs> Like, don't, don't be afraid to raise your hand in class. Like, that's how they know your name. And, like, go, like, even it, so if you can't meet the office hours, go after class, like, for five minutes. Ask them a couple questions. I'm sure you have questions. I always had questions. And so that's also a good way to kind of get to know them. So even if you're online, there's no excuse. You can still bond with professors. It just, it might be a little harder.
1: Yeah, and then also kind of building off that of exactly how do I ask, especially um, online. For online, this might be with you. If you've been taking predominantly online classes, um, they probably don't have in-person office hours. So you're going to have to email them. But in I think Eleni's case, we certainly ha- we had in-person for about half of our college career and it kind of turned into all online and then like a hybrid. Um, I still think even for classes where it was predominantly in-person, this is just my personal opinion, I think it's okay to send an email um, as long as you're courteous and you're respectful. Um, If it's been a while, like for one of my professors, it had been maybe a year or two since I had taken their class. I, in my introductory email asking for a letter, I included an anecdote about a moment that we had shared or something that I particularly liked about the class that jogged their memory of me. Um, I think that's really useful. Um, And then in person, obviously, um, is another way that you can go. I would schedule a meeting and just keep it short and sweet. It doesn't have to be this long oration about why you're the greatest student ever and why you need this letter. It's just, hi, I really enjoyed your class. Can you please write me a strong letter?
0: Usually they'll say yes if they're gonna say something positive. Um, (laughs) Like, don't go to a professor that you think hates you, but like, I don't think anybody that would, has nothing good to say. Like I emailed one professor, I think he just didn't remember me because I was in his intro bio class and he just didn't respond. And I was like, OK, you know, it, it's it's maybe it's better that way. Um, yeah. So I think kind of we can start moving towards wrapping this conversation up uh, just by a little bit of uh, logistics. So the way I did it was I had it sent through Interfolio. So your AMCOS application has like an ID tied to it. And like you can you can input that ID and like it'll automatically get electronically sent to AmCross. I think if that's if you pay for premium, which again I think is worth it because it's a huge headache. Otherwise, I don't know how you did it, Noah.
1: Yeah, I also did it through Interfolio, and you're you're exactly right. It's a it's the paid feature. Uh, each letter I think counts as one of your deliveries, and I think you pay like forty or fifty dollars for forty or fifty deliveries, which is overkill, but um regardless, you, you need that if you want to use Interfolio to store your letters and then send it to AmpCas. The other potential option that you have, um, this is how most people probably do it who haven't heard of Interfolio. Um, what you're going to have to end up doing is, I think your professor, whoever's uploading your letter has to make an AmpCas account. And then they have to personally upload their letter and tie it to your AmpCas ID. So it's a lot more burdensome on your letter writers, in my opinion, to have them to go through all that process and use the AMCAS system. Whereas Interfolio takes that whole thing out of the picture. Um, You're in control of when you want to send your letters. And I I think that's just really helpful. It's just one less thing that you have to ask your letter writers to do.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of the few things that's worth the investment uh, through this process. Uh, applying to medical school is going to be expensive um, and uh, it's I think this is one of the the few things that I would argue is very justified to pay for. Um, also you can manually assign your letters and in AMCOS like which schools are going to um, and that's something to definitely pay attention to like I think, for example, USC didn't take more than like five letters or something like that. I don't remember if it was, I think it was USC, but it I mean, may have been another school. But make sure you're not just like clicking every single letter and being like, okay, I'm going to send everything. Like that school, Like if an admission author that, looks at that, like don't give them a dumb reason. Like, oh, they sent too many letters for them to reject you. Like, oh, they don't care. And they didn't read instructions. Um, yeah. So... I think those are the big logistics things. Do you have any other comments?
1: Yeah, I was just going to tag on that a little bit too. Yeah, actually it's worth paying attention to see which school, like, yeah, don't just click on every letter. Um, I think, (laughs) like you said, an admissions officer might be like, oh my gosh, this person can't follow directions. We only wanted four letters and he uploaded like six or seven. It's not going to be the end of the world, but you know, just an extra reminder to make sure you read every school's policies as far as the number of letters that they want and what types of letters too. Yes,
0: yes, don't upload sex science letters when they want a humanities letter. Um, (laughs) So, all right, well, with that being said, I don't have any final comments, do you, Noah?
1: No, yeah, I think, obtaining letters of recommendation. I think for me, was actually one of the more um, stress-inducing parts of the process, just because going into it, I had never really um, fielded letters of recommendation for at least for something this important. Um, So I wouldn't stress too much about it. You've made connections through your college and if you're non-traditional through your um, actual career, Uh, make use of those connections, be courteous, be kind. Um, some uh, one last tidbit that I don't think we touched on. Some people have advocated at, like when you ask using the word, write a strong letter. Um, I think that's useful if, especially if it's been a while, um, you don't want a super generic letter, but, you know, I think for the most part, anybody who's willing to write you a letter is only going to have good things to say, like Eleni had said previously. So those are just kind of my last parting words of wisdom is don't fret too much about it be prompt be on time be courteous and you know it's not the end of the world it's all gonna be okay
0: oh also don't ask to read your letters um like you should not be reading your letters before you submit them um that's just like a big conflict of interest and like i had so i had one letter writer who's a british doctor write their letter for me and then email it to me and I had to be very like intentional and I was like hey I cannot read this uh so um luckily she just sent me a copy and she had already uploaded it, so it wouldn't have mattered anyways but like I think it's important to be not most know like I think 99% know of U.S. professors that you're not going to read your letters but it's a conflict of interest so make sure that you're not asking to read them or that kind of thing
1: yeah 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 very important don't read your letters um before you submit them and even afterwards it, like eleni said it's a conflict of interest the nice part about interfolio as if we haven't plugged interfolio enough you when you're not up your paid account... reps
0: by the way <laughs> we are not <laughs> paid reps <laughs>
1: Yeah, we are we are not we, we were not paid to say any of this. This was just purely from my really good experience from the from both of our really good experiences with them. Um when you set up your account, you can actually mark um your letters as confidential when you set up your account, and then you never have to see it again. So when your professor, doctor, whoever uploads your letter, um, you don't have to worry about potentially seeing it. It's locked um, behind a firewall. And um you don't have to worry about, like I said, you don't have to worry about it not being confidential. And then it's uploaded in the MCAS, um when you when you do so. So that's another really nice part. If that's something that you're worried about.
0: Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Um, thank you for listening to the Doctor and Duo podcast. Uh, we'll be back next time. I think our next topic is the MCAT. So that's going to be definitely a big, chunky episode. So uh, we'll have lots of good uh, information and that. Uh, listening what to do from Noah and listening what not to do from me. Um, So (laughs) uh, we'll see you guys next time. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a like, follow, subscribe, whatever whatever the affirmative action is on your uh, platform of choice. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode.